able to open your word and share with our family here, God. I pray that I would just fade out, Father, and your word would go forth and be tailor-made towards every life present here, what you want to say to them this morning. We come humbly. We come desperate. We're in need of you, and I know you want to meet us. I know your heart wants to connect with your people this morning, so have your way. In Jesus' perfect name we pray. Amen and amen. You know, um, when Joel was just talking and ministering to us uh, about just wanting more of God and everything that he has for you and, and kind of saying like everything, if it's moving, if it's, if it's the next level, whatever it is, God, I want it. And I was reminded, I heard this, I'm talking about um, before you're born again, your decision is heaven and hell, right? Heaven or hell. And then you get born again, and it becomes a decision of heaven or earth. Heaven or earth. Am I going to be so fixated on the earthly things and the pursuits of this earth, or am I going to choose heaven twice, saying, we chose heaven in salvation. God, I want you. I want to spend eternity with you. And then again, he'll say, heaven or earth. Where are you going to fix your mind? And I'm telling you, we are a heavenly-minded people in this house, aren't we? We want to see God move and do great things, and we want to be a part of a move of God. And when Dom talks about it, you stick around here. This church has a destiny and a mandate on it that will blow your mind as it unfolds. We're in awe of what God wants to do in South County and the surrounding areas. You will marvel. These are the greatest days for the church. Amen? Okay, with that said, I have to teach a message, because that's what I do here when I'm asked to teach. No, I ask, have to ask myself to teach. But um, the message entitled today is called Head Start. And what Head Start is all about is humility. That humility is God's continual head start for your life. You know when you're a kid, you know that like kind of like slower kid? You're about to like race or do something at the park and they say to the slower kid, you get a head start, right? Get out running. Maybe some of you were that slower kid, but you get that slower kid and you go, you go ahead, you get going, you get a head start and they get out, out front. And a lot of times everyone catches them, right? It's the little brother, the little sister getting the head start, but everyone catches up. But I want to tell you this morning that humility is God's continual head start. And you will always reach victory if you model yourselves in humility. Amen? This is God's continual head start in your life. I want to share with you, there's a verse in Proverbs. It says, where there's no oxen, the trough is clean. But you need a strong ox for an abundant harvest. Where there's no oxen, the trough is clean. Essentially, where there's no people, there's no mess, right? If you don't want, if you don't have people, life is easy, right? I always tell everyone, I'm an amazing Christian before 8 a.m. And then my kids wake up and like things start to happen. And then I just am like, I'm, I'm awful. But it's people. Where there's no oxen, the trough is clean. But the Bible says, but you need a strong ox for an abundant harvest. And your ability to work well in humility with the people that God has placed in your life will determine the size of your yield 
and the size of your field. God really is clear. Your ability to work with the messy oxen, those co-workers, that family member, your ability to walk with them and work with them will determine the size of your field and the size of your yield. You know, you can only do so much by yourself, it says, but with an ox, you would, this is in Bible times, you would multiply the plowing and the size of the field working with an ox and therefore the size of the yield. With an ox, you could get more accomplished. Another strength of the ox is how do I, is like, how do I say this, like the the byproducts of an ox? For some reason, crops seem to do a little better when you put manure on them. So the ox's waste becomes also uh, more fruitfulness for um, the farm. So an ox increases the yield, but it's messy. Does anyone have any messy people in their life? Does anyone have any family members, any co-workers that are just a little messy? But I'm telling you, if you will catch God's heart and work well with the people that he has placed in and around your life, you will find that you will increase the size of your field and your yield. It's God's way. We're going to look at a story that I love. I love this story um, out about Abraham, Abram and Lot, his nephew. We're going to get into that. But as a pastor and a minister, oftentimes the greatest need I hear sitting in counseling with someone or talking on the phone or taking a prayer request is strife in families. Just strife between family members, um, strife with a coworker, uh, just situations that people are facing with other people. And sometimes as a leader of your own life, you're going to have to make some hard calls in those situations. Now, when we talk about Abram, Abram was rich beyond measure. And yet his people and his nephew Lot's people were fighting. There was strife between them. It divided their, their family. And the most important thing that was happening is there was unbelieving herdsmen in the area. The Canaanites and the Perizzites were out there watching this family fight. They were watching um, these people that should have been in unity totally divided. They were divided over land. They were fighting essentially that that there was not enough grazing ground for both Abram's herd, you know, his cattle, and his nephew's cattle. So they're trying to occupy this the same space, and it was not enough land for both of their cattle to be sustained. So they're fighting over this. And then these onlookers, these unbelieving onlookers are watching this. So Abram went to Lot, his nephew Lot. We're going to be in Genesis 13, and it'll be up on the screen for you. So Abram went to his nephew Lot and said very specifically, let there be no more strife between you and me. It says in this in um, chapter 13, verse 8, then Abram said to Lot, let there be no more strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? And this is what Abraham, he says, if you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. This is so powerful. I heard um, a pastor named John Graves say one time, well, God is the alpha and the omega. And the devil knows that the devil did not start you 
and he cannot finish you. So he tries in the meantime of life or in the middle of your life to distract you and cause strife to well up, to destroy your race, to keep you unfruitful in the middle. He doesn't have a say about your beginning and he does not have a say about how things will turn out. But in the middle of your life, you will find that he will come at you. He will come at you to destroy you in the middle. And oftentimes it's through strife. We can learn from Abraham's model how he deals with strife in such a powerful way that essentially leads to such a victory in his life. First, Abraham looks at the situation and he assesses, okay? So there might be situations in your life that are going to call for an assessment. You have to step back and do not assess these situations when you're tired because you'll end up doing what seems easy rather than what's right. So when you're assessing a situation that you may be facing in your family, in your ministry, in your life with a coworker, do not assess when you're feeling tired. You know what I mean? Like they always say that. I don't even want to have discussions with my kids late at night or at those times. It's not the time. We're tired. We're exhausted. We'll do what's easy rather than what's right. So he looked at the situation. He assessed the situation. He said, practically, there are too many animals between us in relation to the grazing ground. There's just too many animals. Something's got to give. Secondly, he says, both both of our herdsmen are fighting and Abraham is becoming concerned about his testimony in front of the Canaanites and the Perizzites. They're probably laughing at them. They're looking at these guys that should be family, totally destroying each other and fighting over this land. You know, the Bible is very clear. Jesus on the eve of his death prays that his people might be one that the world might believe. Jesus prays on the eve of his death that the his people, us, would be ones that the world might believe. And nothing tarnishes our testimony to an unbelieving world than strife and strife within our own families. We as Christians are supposed to be walking in unity and love and abiding in grace and humility. And when we're at each other and fighting over things that we shouldn't be fighting over, it tarnishes our witness in the earth. I'll read to you out of John 17. I do not ask for these only. I don't have this scripture, you guys, so don't worry about it if you're looking for it. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. They also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. God is asking us to live in such a way that just by encountering us and witnessing our life and how we handle affairs with other people, that it is a glory displayed to an unbelieving world. That's the heart of the Father, that we would display his goodness, that we wouldn't just say it about him, but we would model his ways. We want to show his ways to the earth. And I'm telling you, strife will come in. Strife will come in and destroy you in the middle. It's trying to wage war. And I know, I know little things come up. I know situations come up. And we have an opportunity. And your head start into managing strife in your life and in your families is humility. We can see it modeled there that Abram, surely Abram was the more um, noble. He was the uncle he was the one in charge, and he, in this situation, goes to his nephew Lot and yields to Lot the choice of what land Lot would like to take first. So he says to Lot, Lot, nephew, 
If you go left, I'll go right. If you go right, I'll go left. And you know what Lot's probably thinking? Good, Abe. You know, you got all this stuff. They both got rich coming out of Pharaoh's kingdom. They got rich. They had land. They had herds. They had cattle. But I'm sure Lot felt like, yeah, my uncle owes me. He's got so much stuff. I, he can afford to let me take first dibs on, on this grazing ground. And I'm going to take him up on that. Lot not even considering to yield that back to his uncle, the first choice. Nope. He said, I'm taking that first choice. So Abram offers Lot first choice, even though Abram is the elder and should have had the first choice. But the key in this process is yielding and leading with humility and not pride. And you know why Abraham could essentially lead with humility and not pride? Because he had a promise from God. He had a promise from God that God promised him in a covenant that he would give him the land, that there was going to be so much fruit from his family and his descendants. And he kept that promise in front of him. So he was able to make a humble choice because he had a promise from God. So often in strife, we're so concerned about what the other person is doing. And what about them? It's like my kids. You know, my kids could seriously work for the Bureau of Standards. If they are hiring, I'm, they will tell you if I slice that banana bread too big for that kid. They want the biggest choice. They want the best piece. And they are like laser. My little, well, I won't name names. He will remain nameless, okay, this morning. But I have one kid, and I, he should apply to the Bureau of Standards. He is so concise. He will look at how I slice things. I'm telling you, they could be employed and have good pay to just discern if everything's fair and just. You know what I mean? But Lot, in this situation, Lot is just con concerned about himself. Let's go back to Genesis 13. I'm going to read to you his response. So awesome. It's just like our kids, you know? And it says in verse 10, And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the Jordan Valley was well watered. It was green. It looked bountiful. His eyes looked pleased with that, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the, all the Jordan Valley, and he journeyed eastward. Do you know every time in the Bible it talks about going east, that means far from the presence of God. Even um, our son Cameron, his middle name is West. Because when I was, we were thinking about naming him, I felt like West always symbolizes headed towards the presence. Headed towards the presence. And I wanted his name to be marked by a little boy that would head towards the presence of God. And you know what? He is that kid. He's our kid in Sunday school that we say, Cameron, what'd you learn about in class today? And he'll say, I don't remember. And then he'll just blurt out, Sabbath. We learned about the Sabbath. And he just is, he always remembers. And, and he, right? Amanda's his teacher. We know this boy is hungry for the things of God, and we named him Cameron West Ervolino after the presence. But it's saying here that Lot journeyed eastward. He chose what looked good to the eye, but in the end would destroy. You know what? He never asked, is this land good for raising children? No, his heart was, is this land good for raising cattle? He had one thing on his mind. It was not a choice of heaven or earth. Lot had already made that choice. He was a believing man. But then he chose, he chose earth over heaven 
in his decisions. He continued to make decisions that were earthly focused, money, wealth, accumulation, and we see that it ultimately destroyed him. And Abram, his uncle, took the position that if God has promised to give the land to his offspring, then he did not need to concern himself with which portion Lot chose. He had a promise in front of him, and he had three promises actually from God. He had a promise, number one, that he would be given the land. And initially he thought, well, I don't even have any children, and God promised him that the land would go to his heir. So he was thinking, well, I don't even have a son, and God promised this Land would not just go to an heir. This would go to your seed. So then he knew God's promising my own child, the land, and that his descendants would be innumerable. It says like the dust of the earth. Can you imagine how much dust? If you came to my house, there's enough dust. And he's symbolically saying that I'm going to make your descendants like the dust of the earth. I'm mean, you're talking like a lot. So he had this promise from God. So he did not need to concern himself with what portion of the land that his um, nephew chose. Some of us have promises from God. Some of you have been given promises from God concerning situations but yet you have this promise and you have this word that God wants to do this thing or that thing. But we behave so often like we don't believe him. We behave so often like, I don't really believe that you promised me that, God. So we say it on Sundays, we're sons and daughters, but all week we act like orphans. All week we act like, I don't really have a promise. My father's really not going to come through. So some days we say, God, I believe your promises. I know you've said you'd be faithful and good to me. I know you said that my children shall be taught of the Lord and grace shall be their peace. But it doesn't look like that. Abraham in this situation, it did not look good for him. He, in this situation, did not get the land. He did not have a child yet. He had to go on the promise that was in front of him. And some of us have forgotten the promises. And then you get caught up in strife. You get caught up in what's that person doing? Or how come you did that for them, God? What about me? Instead of fixing your eyes on God who is faithful to his promises, it'll dismiss strife so quick when you get before your heavenly father and recount his faithfulness to you and his promises over your life. You won't even have time for strife. I want to share with you guys uh, something Joel and I just walked through. It's pretty vulnerable that I would share this on a Sunday morning, but I asked the Lord. I asked him for his permission, essentially, to share this with you. So my husband um, was in sales for a company for about three years. Um, Joel is an incredible salesman. He's an evangelist. So he talks to everyone. Everyone knows him. He's loved like that. Um, he went from Bible college to um, senior pastoring for many years and never dreamed that God would call him into the marketplace. But he gets this job in sales through a series of events, and he smashes in sales. I mean, his boss was like, you're a pastor. You never sold anything in your life. And he's breaking company records and winning stuff and having a good time. And, and he's just killing the game, right? And then in November, we continually will go before the Lord in seasons of our life. And I encourage you to do it the same. Just, just assume that a yes in the past is a yes for now. So we come again. Hey, Heavenly Father, 
You still have Joel at this company. Is this your plan for us? We're just revisiting it with you. Lord, here we are again asking. We need your wisdom. We want to hear from you. Is this still the place where you have Joel? And sure enough, the Holy Spirit was like, you have freedom to leave. And then you get like, leave, like we have four kids. You can't like quit a job and do you know? And so you can behave like that, like you don't have a promise. But when you have a word from the Lord, he said, you have permission to go. So then we started to walk that out. So we're coming November, December. We're on a vacation through the holidays and we really feel that he's supposed to quit his job and start his own um, brokerage or sales company, selling the same thing, but just independently, which is a possibility. You know, you could do that. So Joel gets back from San Francisco. He puts in his resignation notice to his boss. His boss has been very good to us over the years, um, very, very good and kind to us. So Joel tells him, January 1's my last day. He doesn't give any explanation, just quits and lets him know, thank you for everything. He has this beautiful BMW. He's got to return the company car and his cell phone. So we're going like, I mean, it's all going back. He's returning everything. He, okay, bye to the car and bye to the cell phone. We're having to go out and and think these things through. Well, so he quits the company and then he gets a call and his boss calls him in, his former boss, and says, I'd like to meet with you. And we're thinking, "Uh uh-oh, what's going on? So he gets down, sits face-to-face with Joel and says, you know, I've lost some customers since you left, and I feel entitled to that that money that I've lost um, since you left, and these customers wouldn't do business with me. There's like this non-compete law that if you're selling in the same field, like you can't something, I don't know. Um, So the bottom line is it's a significant amount of money. So I'm going to tell you the amount of money because that's the kind of house we're going to be here. Um, $5,000 that he was saying, if you don't pay me $5,000 in the next 30 days, I'm going to have to take legal action. Gracious guy. We think he was hurt, you know, because we left the company and there was whatever emotions are going on. So Joel gets back to the house. He's with Marco, our assistant, and his new business partner. And they're in our kitchen. And they're going, we have to come. I have to come up with this money. And I have to make it right with my boss. And I'm sitting in the kitchen and I'm watching this all unfold as a wife. And I'm thinking, we thought we launched out and made this great decision. And already there's this assault like against our finances. So Joel's in the kitchen and he looks at the guys. He's like, I'm going to pay him the money. And his, his business partner's like, no, 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 that's not even a real law. You don't have to pay him the money. Let's figure this out. And Joel says, no, if he feels that I owe him that money, then we need to pay him that money. And it was just settled, you guys, right there. Like, we're going to err on the side of walking in humility. You know, people are more precious than stuff. And so we head out to Hawaii. We're on a vacation that he won at the old company because he was just that good, you know. So we're on this all-expense-paid vacation from the former company. And um, we're in Hawaii, and the Holy Spirit is just speaking to us. You text that boss right now and tell him that he's more valuable than money. And if you feel that we owe you that, then we're going to pay you that. And what date do you need this money by? So he doesn't, his boss doesn't respond. Thank you for letting me go long in this. This will matter. This will matter. Um, his boss doesn't respond anything. He just puts the date, March 31st, 2018. Okay, not negotiating. And we're praying all along. My dad's praying. My dad's like, 
man of faith. He's like, oh, I'm praying he'll cancel that debt. And you can ask our intercessor. We had our intercessor prayer warrior. We did not ask her to pray that he would cancel the debt. We said, God, would you so richly bless us in business that we can write that check and honor him and it's no sweat off our budget. That was our prayer. Not that he would eliminate it. It'd be no sweat off our family budget, right? So it's coming up on Good Friday. We had a Good Friday service here. And that morning, um, it was coming up close on the 31st when we would have to make that right. So Joel wakes up that morning and says, hey, I'm coming down um, to pay you today. His boss says, okay. And so Joel gets in the car. He takes our checkbook, and he's headed down. And God supplied, you guys. The resources were there. Did I want to give it? No. But the resources were there. Did I want to do that with it? No. I could have had a lot of better ideas what we could do, but it's honor and it's humility that says, no, we're yielding ourselves to make a person more valuable than getting into strife and conflict and trying to figure out and negotiate. No, the Bible says, don't negotiate like that. Have no debt except for that to love one another. So we took it serious. God, you're in the midst of us. And it felt special that God would entrust us. I know sometimes it doesn't feel special when you're going through hard things, but God is entrusting you in a place where he wants to increase you and bring more fruit into your life through the process. So Joel shows up there with our checkbook and walks into that office. And there at the board table is his former boss and the chief other guy of the company. And they're just sitting there like this. And Joel walks in. And they just said, your humility has inspired all of us. You owe us nothing. We're so impressed with the humility on your life that you're a man of God. And just go home. You owe us nothing. In fact, we want to be in partnership with you. How can we partner with your church and what God's doing? It was like humility. Yes. T.D. Jakes will always say, get low, stay low. Get low, stay low. You think by yielding yourself in situations and putting someone else's um, need or, or their request above your own makes you a doormat. No, you become a doorway, a gateway into fruitfulness when you live that way. God is up to something, and his ways are not our ways. So Joel came home. He pulls up Good Friday. We have a Good Friday service. He walks in the house, and he's like, he, it's like, it happened, hun. We don't owe him anything. And I just, gosh, Lord, your ways are really higher. We had to walk that out. There were days that I was frustrated and felt like, man, why would you come after us, Lord? The, not Lord, but why would he come after us in that situation? It was not the Lord. And the Lord was orchestrating something, as he was with Abraham and Lot. So you see in the story that, that Lot goes on. He goes past past east. He's like in Sodom. He's destroying his life. And Abraham has a promise. His descendants would number like the dust of the earth. And he kept that promise in front of him. There's a few points on humility. Number one, it's always the right answer. It's always the right answer. Number two, humility is a byproduct of being with God. It says that Abraham returned to the house of the Lord. Every time in this text, you can read it, when Abraham would get far from God and he would come back around, it said he would build an altar to the Lord. You know, oftentimes we can get off track in our life. We can get off into strife and conflict. And God would just say, I'm beckoning you back. 
return to me and we'll pick up right where we left off and I'll get you on track. But it takes getting low and staying low. Pride will destroy. Arrogance destroys relationship. Humility will build them and build them triumphantly. You will marvel at what humility does in relationships. Pride and arrogance will destroy them. And humility is a byproduct of being with God. Abraham returned to the house of the Lord. He had been off in Egypt and hadn't built an altar for a while. He had left God. Oswald Chambers says, God always leads us back where we left him. Abraham had not made any progress in his life. In fact, he had regressed. But he called out to the Lord, and we can do the same. If we get into dissension or strife or conflict is ruling your heart and your mind, you can stop today, call out to the Lord, Come back to the Lord, and he will guide you into into good places, into fulfilling places in your relationships. I'm not always speaking to everyone. Someone here could be saying, hey, I'm doing pretty good in my relationships. Praise God. But I know I'm speaking to some. I just know it because God wouldn't have me here to talk on this. I tell you, there are a lot of other things I like to talk about, but I am an exhorter by nature. God brings me to share the firm word so that on the other side of the firm word, we can have tender hearts and be um, open to him and have him lead us into abundant life. Arrogance destroys relationships. Humility saves them. Humility will save your relationships over and over. Joel had an opportunity with his boss. They weren't talking, but we wanted friendship and relationship with him. We want to be good with people. And this process now, we're going out to dinner with his boss when I get back from Nigeria to fellowship with them. Humility will save relationships. Humility will protect you. God says he opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Grace will cover you and protect you. Humility will protect your life often. It protected us. It protected our finances even in that situation. My dad would always say, he heard it said, the three keys to a victorious Christian life, humility, humility, humility. I don't know anything else that leads you to more victory. It's your head start. It's your continual head start. It's like God saying, Go on out in front. I'm going to give you a head start, and no one can catch you. You'll never be lacking in victory if humility is a standard that you operate in your life. Thank you, Lord. If you're feeling any presence, any new assaults in your family, any pressures in your ministry, any pressure in your your finances, in your home life, for me... Every time I'm under pressure, it's a call to humility. Every time I'm feeling an extra amount of pressure, that's when I stop and go, Lord, I've gotten off in my own strength somewhere because I know that this pressure is not supposed to be here. Somewhere along the line, I've picked up and tried to lead my life. I'm trying to figure out things that only you can figure out. So pressure is always a call to humility. First, humility before the Lord that says, Lord, I yield myself again to you. You can do it daily. Lord, I come before you again. I've become worried or consumed how to solve this. Any of you like number runners in their heads? You're calculating like a calculator. How's this going to work out? What am I going to do about that? Anytime those pressures come, I just, it's like an alert to me in my heart. I'll just go, Anna, Anna, Anna. Hello, hello. Pressure, humility, come before the Lord. Here I am again, Lord. 
got off in my own strength. I'm so prone to wander. You know me, Lord. Here I am again. I want to yield myself to you. I want to come before you. I'm asking you to teach me again, Father. Where did I miss it? What are you saying? You got to yoke yourself. Humility is a byproduct of being with God. It's a byproduct of your time in his presence. You're not going to have to force and strain to live this way. You come under him. You yield yourself to him. Yeah, that T.D. Jakes, uh, get low, stay low. That's a good one. You should write that down. I didn't make that up, but that's a good one. Thank you, guys. So we see Abraham assessed the situation. He calls for no more strife with his nephew Lot. He responds in humility, yielding Lot to you, Lot, for the first choice of land. Lot takes that choice and chooses the area that appears to be well-watered, and the, like the garden of the Lord. Then the men go each to their own land. And it says in verse 14, as soon as, I'm telling you, as soon as Abraham did that right thing, as soon as he did it, then the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. As immediately when he humbled himself, the Lord came right in and gave him the promise again. God loves, he opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Isn't he good? You are so good, Lord. It is so sweet what is produced in a life that is willing to assess, to passionately pursue, to obey the voice of God, and to walk humbly. The Bible says in Proverbs 22, 22 verse 4, the reward for fear of the Lord and humility is riches and honor and life. The reward for fearing the Lord, honoring the Lord, and humility is riches and honor and life. And I always say riches is for us is enough to live and enough to give. Honor is influence. Honor is influence, being able to influence others. And um, riches and honor and life, life more abundantly. Is there anything else that I, I don't know anything else I'm longing for? Enough to live, enough to give, influence, an abundant life with my family, with our church family. That is the promise. If you don't have any other promises and you're saying, I don't have a promise, that's a promise from the Lord. Fear of the Lord and humility will promise over you riches and abundant life, influence, honor. That's good stuff. God is so good. Why this topic? Why would I even bring this up on a Sunday morning? Why would I even talk about humility? Because the size of your field and the size of your yield are dependent on it. And we need to be lovers of people. People are more precious. So if there's a situation where you're just looking at the conflict instead of the person, that you have an ability to get out of that mindset and look at people as precious you, arrogance and pride will destroy. Humility will save those very relationships. The ones that you think there's no hope, you do not know. You know that person that you just are, you want to say that. You know you could say something to them that would level them and to not do it. I'm a good fighter. Like I can, I'm good with my words. You know, when Joel and I would have stuff in our marriage, if you're married, you know, you're married, you know what I'm talking about. There's moments where you can use your words. And I'm good at my words. I have things I could say. And there's times when the Holy Spirit inside of me will just say, Anna, don't say that. And instead of going ahead with what I want to say, just yielding my, my flesh 
to go, I'm just not going to say that. I'm going to speak a word of life or say something good. So just holding my tongue and considering his, his feelings or his heart over my own. When I've done that, it's like heaven opens at our house and like glory is so powerful what happens when we walk in humility with one another serving one another considering one another above each other's you know not our own self but glory will come hope when you do the opposite of your flesh which would want to be to pride and and fend for yourself look out for number one remember we talked about that we're always looking out for number one when you do not do that and you do the exact opposite I'm telling you Something begins to happen in the midst of you that you're really craving. And you know, God is saying the gateway, the doorway to this life is humility. Let's be lovers of people. Don't take everything so personally. When I was managing the spa in Huntington Beach, I was a young manager at the Hyatt Regency, and I was the person that had to talk with every upset customer. That was my role as the operations manager. So I'd be in my office, and then the front desk would call, Anna, there's a customer up here. And so as I would walk to greet the customers, I had this thing I would say in my heart, don't take it personal, don't take it personal. Don't take it personal. It's not personal. It's not personal. Because you could get up there and the, you're just the, the person that they're attacking, not for their massage being bad, but probably for 15 years of things they're going through. You become the scapegoat. And so I had to get humble even in leadership in that position and just say, I'm not going to take it personal. And it helped so much. And I would encourage you this morning, if you've got some strife, Something going on in your family, a coworker. Don't take it personal. It'll help you a lot if you just remove yourself that it's not personal against you. You have no idea what they could be going through, and you have an opportunity to diffuse conflict and strife. Or you can add, you know, when there's a fire at the beach and just a few pokes makes that fire that could be dwindling flare up. You can poke things and cause it to flare, or you can diffuse situations through your humility. I know we live in a fast-paced world. I know it feels like we could just rush, rush, rush. But this is serious business, and we can't rush the tending of our soul. And a byproduct of being with Jesus and caring for our souls is the humility that's produced. Trust the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. That's out of Psalm 37, and it's as if that psalm was written for this occasion with Abraham and Lot. It says, dwell in the land, inherit the land. And my favorite verse, it says, but the meek, showing patience and humility, will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. It says, but the meek, showing patience and humility, will inherit the land, and it says, enjoy great peace. Praise God. Abraham had received a promise from the Lord for the land and his offspring, and he kept that promise in front of him. And we can do the same. If there's any areas in your life this morning that need to be met with an assessment, um, a call for no more strife, maybe you have a situation that, that's come into mind right now, you might need to lead the way and lead this situation. Call for no more strife, a humble heart that may yield the right of way to someone else. I know you think, how in yielding 
are, am I going to receive what I'm longing for, Lord? I'll, I'll be a doormat. I'm not talking about, hear me though, I'm not talking about abuse. I'm not talking about you, an abusive situation. So if, so if you're in my earshot and you're facing some sort of an abuse, I'm not saying humble yourself, get low, stay low. That is a different context, and you can talk to us about something like that. I'm talking in this situation about opportunities in families, in relationships to eliminate strife through humility. Amen? So just know the difference and hear my heart on that. This is like and and not elevated or escalated situations. Deal with it or it will deal with you. Abraham had that mindset. If I don't deal with this situation with my nephew, it's going to deal with me. So he dealt with it. It's having a correct view of God and of ourselves, and God will do great things. I am so excited that as believers, we should seek to resolve conflicts. It should be in our hearts. We should exhibit tenderness towards one another. Twice, Abram says to his nephew Lot, twice, and he appealed to him in tenderness. He said, please. Please let there be no more strife between us. It was a tenderness, and he appealed for their kinship. Their, he said, we're brothers here. Aren't we brothers here? Shouldn't we behave differently? I have a really sweet brother. I have an older brother named Daniel, and when we grew up in Colorado, we had this hutch that my parents would stuff like the big mittens in, you know, like the big like snow mittens, and I would want a box with my brother. So that's what my dad, he would pretend box with us, but my brother would never want to box back. He's really like a sweet guy. And it's not fun to have an argument if they don't want to argue with you, right? So let's be those people. Let's be like my brother, Dan, who said, no, Anna, I don't want to box with you. I'd be like, come on, let's do this. Let's he just didn't want to hurt me. He was older than me, and he's really tender. But it's the same way in life. It's hard to have an argument or strife unless two people are going at it. Let's be the one in those situations that abolishes strife and ushers in meekness and humility and the promises of God on the other side. Let's pave the way and show the way that we can do this. Yeah, there's nothing like wanting to have a good fight and the other person is unwilling, huh? There's nothing like that. Or like, you know, you're, oh, Joel says to me one time when we were early married, you're getting really hard to please. And I was thinking, I looked at him, I said, I think you're right. And he was like, we're just going to admit it? We're not even going to have like a good time talking about it? No, he was right. I was. But that just abolished arrogance in the room. And it just ushered in unity. And that's the goal is unity. May we refuse to fight and offer tenderness with the goal of unity. Amen? We should wait on God. Abraham waited on God. He didn't take matters into his own hands. He said, God, you have made a covenant promise to me for the land, so I don't need to concern myself with the portion that my nephew chooses. I have a promise from you. Keep the promises of God ever before you for your situation. Lot chose the well-watered land, but God had given Abraham a covenant promise. And Abraham's head start came by humility. Amen? God is so faithful. God's ways are not our ways. And I am really, really charged up this morning that many of you could enter into your circumstances this week, co-workers, um, family situations, with getting low and staying low and seeing what victory could come on the other side of that. Lance, would you come? We're going to close. Yeah, I, I had written uh, this message. It's a message of my heart. It's like a true message of my heart. 
uh, because I've just seen the victory that comes from humility. I've just seen really no other way that has done more for our lives personally than um, yielding or considering others above ourselves. Um, Philippians 2, I'll read it to you. Says, I love this one. Christ's example of humility is the, the headline. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Amen. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not, account, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Hey, we're just greater servants, amen? We're all serving one another, yielding to one another. Couldn't God do wonderful things? if we would grasp that in our hearts and our personal lives and within our families. Do you receive it this morning? Praise God. Heavenly Father, I consider it an honor, Lord, even just to testify what you've done in our family in the last week and a half, God. I'm just restoring that situation with Joel's boss and um, just keeping your covenant promise with us, Lord, concerning being tithers, you say you rebuke the devourer for our, our sake against our resources and our finances. And we saw you do that, Lord. So I pray right now for every family represented here, for every life represented here. If there's any area of strife or conflict or turmoil in families, even like this, an, an uncle and a nephew um, battling, God, I pray, Holy Spirit, that your gateway through to freedom and to fruitfulness will be humility for everyone, God, that we would truly understand what it means to posture ourselves, trusting you with the outcome, that we don't need to struggle and strife, that we can yield ourselves to you, God, and you will orchestrate beautifully on our behalf. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being among us and ministering even now to areas where um, people are sensing you speak concerning their families and things, God. I know you, I know it's important to you, Father. You said it, that you wanted us to so display your ways to a broken world, God. So I pray that we would posture ourselves um, in humility, even this week, and finding ways to yield the right of way to other people. Thank you, Lord, for this life-giving truth. We pray we go in power.